Have you ever tried to overpower your troubles with positivity? Melissa Monti shares in this episode why she felt like a guinea pig for bad decisions, including a relationship that left her with a felony, and how she learned to look beyond her limitations to discover what's left open. Join us for inspiration from the host of the Mind Love Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is bigger than us, to the great mystery beyond the veil, to those synchronistic moments that connect us inexorably towards our destination and all the experiences we're meant to have along the way in this life journey, this soul's curriculum. And I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird. I love having these conversations. They light me up. They shift my mood. They help me to see things from a new vantage point. And that always opens me up to more inspiration inside of myself and to keep moving through life with some sense of joy and some excitement and uh, so much better than it used to be before I had these access to all of this beautiful inspiration and these stories and all these fantastic people that I get to interview along my way. And today I'm excited to interview Melissa Monti. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to continue our conversation. We've had such great ones lately. (laughs) I know. I'm excited too. I was on Melissa's podcast, Mind Love, and it was a beautiful experience. We had an awesome conversation about healing the mother wound and love is fierce. And um, now I'm going to interview Melissa right here with you guys. So I'll put a link to both. I'll put a link to that other episode on Melissa's podcast. You guys can check it out if you want to hear what we talked about over there. And in the meantime, a little bit about Melissa. So she is, uh, after spending a decade about what she calls being a guinea pig for bad decisions, I'm sure we can all relate to that. Uh, She became obsessed with learning what makes humans tick. Now she teaches people the tools that turned her life around. Through her raw stories and inspiring interviews, her podcast, Mind Love, highlights the incredible role of the mind in creating a life you love waking up for. And I can so resonate with that. So resonate with that. So um, God, I want to hear more about your story, Melissa. So tell us wherever you want to begin. Tell us a little bit about what got you to the place that you are today. What were some of those mistakes or guinea pig choices uh, that you made that brought you here? And then uh, let's talk about what inspires you to keep going. Well, those mistakes. (laughs) Really, I had a pretty nice life growing up. I was like an AP student, always an overachiever. And nothing bad had really happened besides like my parents' divorce. But I was so young that that's just all I knew. And it didn't really affect me like in a way that I knew. I don't know. I always kind of liked my parents being split up. Well, uh, when I was a teenager, my first sexual assault happened. And at the time, I remember internally, I just kept saying, this isn't going to affect me. And I, to the point that I would even say, like, I don't understand why people are so weak. Why does this happen to have to affect you? And looking back, that was definitely my protective mechanism. 
After that, I ended up losing a really close friend to suicide. And then another, another sexual assault happened. And then my dad died all within a very short period of time. And so I was just not equipped to deal with any of this stuff. Nobody told me how to process my emotions or how to move through trauma. I don't think anybody really tells most people those things. And so I just kept trying to overpower it with positivity. But when I look at my behavior during that time, I can see very clearly how it affected my self-worth, how it affected the way I valued my life, how it affected the decisions I made moving forward, really how those beliefs that I was developing affected my decisions. So I ended up just not expecting a whole lot from the people around me, how they treated me. I was always just trying to earn love, earn my place in pe- in relationships with people. And So I ended up in a really terrible relationship with somebody that throughout our relationship, I found out he was cheating on me. He was addicted to meth. He was addicted to gambling. He was an alcoholic. And turns out he was secretly robbing houses. He robbed over over 50 houses, millions of dollars worth of things. And he was doing most of this when I had decided finally to get away from him. So I went to Hawaii to stay with a friend. I had lived there for a while. So I had a lot of friends there and I stayed for a month and I started to get my life back together. I was eating healthy again, running again, hanging out with good people. But when I came back, I started to feel kind of that old hollow pull. Like I was missing something again. It was like, I was always searching. And and now it's clear to me that I had built myself all on the outside in Hawaii, but I hadn't really addressed that core wound, the things that was causing everything else. So when that guy called with another story about how he had gotten his life together, I was like an addict relapsing. So I went back to him and we went to lunch a few days later. And on our way to lunch, we were arrested. And I was like sitting there wondering, what are we being arrested for? Maybe it's like a busted taillight or we're pulled over for, uh, meaning to say. But then they made us get out of the car. And I just remember watching the police open up the trunk and they just looked at us and there was a dozen lock boxes that they use for houses that are for sale where they just hang the key on the door. There was cases of stolen jewelry and he had had a jewelry business. And so he had been selling it on eBay. Who sells stolen jewelry on eBay? It never occurred to me that this could be illegitimate. And turns out what he was actually doing, he was a smart guy. He dressed well. He drove a Mercedes Benz. He was going and clipping lock boxes and going into homes. And he had had all the MLS reports because he used to do loans with his dad. And so it would say like, these people weren't, don't live there anymore, or they're working from nine to five. And so we would find the houses where people did live there because their jewelry was likely to be there in really nice neighborhoods and just walk in, take the jewelry and leave. So nobody had ever even reported him suspicious or anything like that. But it wasn't until he started getting sloppy because of his drug addiction and he was bringing his drug dealer in to steal the TVs that people started to catch on. And so I had been gone for most of this. And I could have just proven my innocence, but our cases were combined. And so if I went to trial, that means he went to trial too. And it would have guaranteed he got 10 years in jail. And like I said earlier, I wasn't really valuing my life. And I felt responsible to fix other people's problems and make excuses for other people to be there for me. Like I wish people were there for me when I was going through hard stuff. And so I ended up taking a felony to save him. And then moved to LA to get away from him. Wasn't really the end. He followed me. He kind of terrorized me, broke into my house. He finally got arrested for another string of robberies. And then he got seven to 11 years in jail. And at that moment, I was finally free. So I just decided I wasn't going to waste my freedom. And I needed to start making a lot of changes to my life. And it wasn't just one big turning point. I wish that was just where everything went 
Well, I made a lot of changes then. I was still partying and numbing a lot, but it was one small good decision at a time that started to plant the seeds, going to yoga and hearing the messages and it changed from just a workout for me to a spiritual practice. And so before I knew it, I was able to look back and I was the one that my friends always came to for advice because I had gone through so much and I had healed so much of my own stuff. I had also was struggling with a really serious case of bulimia through this whole time. And so there was a lot I needed to heal. But from that is what became my biggest passion is just realizing the power of the mind and in the reality of your life. And so that's what I decided to start my podcast about and just to start to teach people the tools that really helped me. And uh, it's my greatest passion now. That's amazing. I love your story. I think what I love the most is that that you own your story. I mean, it's clear to me that you're owning all the things that happened to you, not trying to hide it or suppress it or deny it. Or, you know, you're like right up front. You're just transparent about it. And it's part of what makes you strong when you do that. You know, a lot of people have regrets from the past or things that they wish didn't happen. And then they try to like smush it down and don't talk about it and pretend like it didn't happen. But actually doing that is like kind of severing off part of who you are, part of like your life journey. And you can't ever be at full power until you embrace the whole thing, until you embrace all of who you are. I held on to that for a long time. So the way I figured that out was by the first time that I just kind of spilled something. And I have always been fairly open about things, but it was always for the shock factor, just for like entertainment value. I would just be like, yeah, like when I was still partying, I'd be like, yeah, I have a felony <laughs> just to see what people <laughs> would do. Cause I'm like this tiny blonde girl that doesn't look like it. But, uh, even that was a way of protecting myself. Like the way I was portraying it, I did realize that people take things the way that you deliver them. And so if I deliver them with shame, they're going to feel that, you know? And so it started as as another protective mechanism, but I did see that, you know, there's another way I could share this in a way that's a little bit more vulnerable. And the first time it happened was when I was hanging out with a group of people and I just felt so called to share the story of my bulimia. And that was my deepest shame. There's something about that because it's like, who's going to want to kiss me? Like, who's going to want me to sleep over at their house? Like, what are they going to be thinking? There's such a stigma around it. And I personally felt that I was gross for a while, but I couldn't stop. And so when I finally shared this with a friend, it was crazy because she just looked at me, kind of went white faced, and she was like, I can't believe you're saying this right now. Just a couple of weeks ago, I started binging and purging. And at first it felt really empowering. And just the last few days, it's kind of felt like it's taken a hold of me. And that person ended up becoming one of my best friends. A lot of our conversations helped her heal. And so I knew in that moment that I'm meant to share and that this idea of sharing it wasn't as scary as I made it out to be. And from that moment, just the lightness that I felt I decided to be more open with all of my story and to find the lessons in it. And I think that was the hardest part because like I said, I used to share the felony story as kind of shock factor, like, ah, this is funny. And then <laughs> like, this is a crazy story that you wouldn't expect from me. But I really went through and it was actually when I was in a public speaking course where you have to find the lessons when you're trying to tell your life story that I had so much healing and so so much catharsis even from that. And uh, so it does take time, but I was willing to put in the time because I knew what it felt like to hold on to that shame. Yeah, there's. it's hard to talk about those things. I think um, people tend to hide those things about themselves from others and put on a good show on that for the outside world. And so when you 
break that and you start being a person that talks about vulnerable topics just right out in the open with your heart open, just right there, people don't expect that. It's very, um, well, most people are really guarded about their secrets, right? So we're talking about things openly in a way that involves them, in a way that opens them up to go, hey, maybe if I talk about this, I won't feel so bad about it. Maybe if I talk about it, I'll actually learn something about myself or open up rather than just sitting in shame, kind of in the back corner, thinking that everybody else is perfect. Yeah. And and I think too, is with sharing is made me feel less alone because my story is pretty unique. And so there's not a lot of people that have gone through something the whole thing. There's I mean, it's pretty dramatic. It. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, but he doing, I mean, what people can relate to is what drove that behavior, what drove me to accept that, to not see the red flags and turn around. And instead I was like, like a bull running full speed towards them, you know? <laughs> so, uh, it's, I think too, in, in sharing that it's, I expected people to be turned off from me as a person or to be worried about it bringing me into their life. But it not only adds intrigue, but it helps them to feel like their problems aren't as big. Or if you can get through this, then what can I get through? And through that, I I remember being in that jail cell. I was in jail for eight days before I, I got out on my own recognizance because I wasn't going to call my mom and tell her to come pick me up. But she worked at a church at the time and my stepdad was a retired police officer. So I was just humiliated. And I just remember thinking, this is rock bottom. I totally destroyed my life. Like I can't erase this. Like I was the girl that would play video games when I was little. And if I lost a life too early, I'd just press the reset button and start over because I wanted to go in with like a clean slate and full life force. And now I have like a felony on my record and bulimia, which people told me I would have forever that, that it's always going to be this thing. And I'm like, I can't press the reset button on this. And so what I learned though, is how to use my limitations as guideposts. And what happened was I realized, how am I going to write this whole story on two lines of a job application? And so I'm like, what can I do where I don't need somebody else's permission and I can still find the success that I want in life? And for that, that was like a slingshot toward entrepreneurship for me. And so I started teaching myself digital marketing and I went full force to that. And I didn't second guess it because the alternative was something that sounded horrible. And I learned this even when I became vegan. I was the person at the restaurant that would take too long and be like, pick me last. And I don't know, what should I get? And then regret my decision immediately because there are too many things on the menu. And then now I'm vegan. There's one thing on the menu for me. You know, I'm like, I order it fast. I'm happy. And so I think so many times mm. we want more options and we feel closed in when there's a door shut in our face. But what I've learned now, instead of feeling closed in or feeling limited, I'm like, oh, this makes my decisions so much easier. What's left open? And so I, I've i been able to do that with a number of areas in my life and at less extreme situations, but it's always helpful. Even through COVID, it's like, okay, everything's closed. What can I do today? What is available to me today? What do I have? And uh, that mindset has made a dramatic difference in my life. You know, your story really points also to an area that many women face, which is body shame. We have this ancestral, I think, programmed into us shame of our of our vessels, of our bodies, and of our sexuality. And so we can have these strange relationships with our bodies that I don't see men having as much. Like the bulimia thing is like not necessarily a man thing. It's like a lot more women have that than men. It's like, um, why do we feel such a need? to punish our bodies for things that are just natural, you know, food in, food out, 
appreciating our image, looking at our body, our bodies change. I'm going through menopause. So I'm in that phase of like, my body's going through menopause. I remember when I had a baby, just like you just had my body made all these changes that were weird and strange and kind of icky, you know, like just strange things happening inside my body. It's like, rather than appreciate the fact that my body can do all of this, I find myself uncomfortable with it from time to time. What's your experience with, you know, your relationship with your body and how you feel bulimia was affected by that, your body image? My body image issues started so early. I remember the first time somebody called me fat when I was 11 and I was underweight at the time. So it was just like a bully kid, right? And I have had the thought every time I've looked in the mirror ever since that moment. And so even when I healed my bulimia, I can't say necessarily that I healed most of my body issues. I was trying. It would look like me being in the mirror and me having all the negative thoughts and knowing the tools to kind of talk myself out of it to feel good. So I was always counteracting, but rarely did I go in front of the mirror and say, oh man, you look awesome. Unless I was at the exact weight that I wanted to be at. My, I was all done up, you know, like if I had carved myself into the woman that I thought I should be, then I was fine with it. But any flaw was still such a highlight. And I was really worried about having a baby because of this. I'm like, I don't know what issues that's going to bring up. What's that weight gain going to be like? And I was actually very surprised because for the first time, it gave me this different appreciation of my body. And one of the thoughts that went through my mind was, even with the imperfections in my mind, I'm like, I just had a baby, you know, like I have this excuse. Whereas before that, I'm like, you have no excuse. You're young. You have time to work out. Like what, you know, it's just the inner talk was so different. And I think the result of my pregnancy, having this little boy, I'm like, who cares? And so of course I still have my moments, but they have decreased dramatically, which is not something that I expected, but it also makes a lot of sense. I mean, women have been like, look at ads from 50 years ago. Everything's about the way a woman looks. Compare interviews of people in the same TV show when they go on Ellen DeGeneres, you know, I'm like, what are they talking about? Oh, your figure versus like the successes. Like, it's just always been a thing. So I think we are slowly unraveling that. Our, our society is doing a lot of good in the things that they're bringing awareness to. But I did have a conversation on my podcast about body awareness and how it shifted. And she says, you know, the whole body love thing still bothers me because yes, we're highlighting different bodies, but still the focus is on the body. When, why can't we shift the focus to something else? Like, like celebrate our bodies. Yes. But why is it still about the shape of women? You, you don't see that with men. And so I do still think that we have work to do, but with awareness, if we're individually aware, our society doesn't necessarily need to change just in time for us to heal. It's just being a little bit more aware when you are consuming those messages so that you can counteract them in your mind. Yeah, there's a lot a lot of messages women face. I remember when I was um, in high school or maybe a little bit before when I my mom was on her first diet, right? And I was introduced to the whole idea of being on a diet. I think it might've been even junior high. It was like, okay, now we have to eat this kind of food that doesn't, you know, I don't like these rice cakes or things like that, right? So it can, can lose this weight. And so it began this like cycle of like thinking about how I need to lose weight. I need to be a certain weight. I need to be mindful of the scale. I need to, and all of this um, focus on my body weight. And over, I would say my whole lifetime, and I'm still in the process of bringing more love and compassion to my body and 
certainly I feel like there is an ideal configuration for my body to be like the most healthy in terms of like, if I want to go hiking out Sangate in Peru, which I'm going to be doing in a few weeks, I can do it and feel good about myself in terms of getting up the mountain and not being too short of breath and not feeling like I'm carrying too much extra weight, right? So I can be free to move my body and get up that mountain. That's my focus right now. And my body is, you know, I've had cycles where I've gone up to 60 pounds and back down again and, and up another 60 and then back down because it, it, it's like, um, a yo-yo pattern, right? Like it's this Mm -hmm. keep losing track of it and then getting back in there and going, oh, that's right. I have to pay attention to that. And then losing track of it again, because life takes over. I mean, once you're a mom, (laughs) life takes over. Things are going on. You've got to focus on new things. And then your body starts doing things you didn't expect. So it's kind of, um, it's interesting. I'm still unpacking it. I'm not really sure what the answer is, or even if there is one set answer, but it feels like we have to be in all of these mindfulness, I think, really a lot of mindfulness and being as loving and compassionate to ourselves as possible. Well, I tried a number of things when I was healing my eating disorder. And it was such a hard thing because, you know, you heal a drug addiction and you stay away from the drugs. You can't stay away from the food. It's a it's a, a pivotal part. So I had to change my relationship with food. And I tried this in a bunch of different ways because, I mean, I grew up with my mom dieting and diet culture of the 90s and like, here's fat-free food. So let me eat twice as much. And like, really, it's worse than the full fat one, you know, like less real ingredients. And so finally, I got to a place where I changed my relationship with food enough that I wasn't thinking about which things were fattening, which things were not fattening, like the diet type foods. And I was craving food that nourished me. And so, yes, I still have my moments on holidays, whatever, like, or, you know, I'm like, I'm really just craving chocolate, whatever it is. I try to buy the good chocolate, but that was the single thing that helped me the most because instead of focusing on what it was shaping my body, how it was shaping my body, I was focusing on, I need nourishing food, nutritional food, because what kind of energy will I have afterwards? Like, am I going to eat just a slice of pizza right now? And it's just bread and cheese and like zero nutritional substance. Sometimes, yes. I'm not saying I say no to that all the time, but for my habits, how do I want to feel after this meal? Do I want to feel like I'm in food coma? Because that's not natural. Like everyone normalizes this idea of food coma. Like, oh yeah, I've eaten. So I need to just lay down. Your body should feel energized after you eat. That's what food is supposed to do. It's fuel. And so... That took such a long time to really drill that in, but now it's my set point. It's what I focus on. And so it's like, well, I need a snack. Let me grab a carrot and hummus, you know, and and that's what I crave. But it took a lot of untangling from all of the other things because we beat ourselves up. So then we're feeling even worse, which makes us want to emotionally eat even more. And then take the pressure off yourself a little bit or have a little more compassion with yourself because realize all of that processed crap has addictive substances in it. So if you feel like you don't have the willpower, it is not your fault. You're eating a drug. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so with that change, slowly but surely, I wasn't getting those same cravings as often. I was healing my emotions. So I wasn't reaching outside of myself to numb that anymore. And so again, it was a process, but one step at a time and trying to praise myself for the good decisions and be compassionate with myself for the so-called bad decisions slowly but surely did make a pretty big mindset shift. Yeah, I would say for me, the main thing I I realized this last time, I'm in the middle of the, uh, hopefully the final cycle of this (laughs) because 
this has happened several times throughout my life. And I noticed for me, it happens when I get emotionally overwhelmed, right? So Mm -hmm. this last one happened. I was really, really good. I can't, I just, I knew my quantities. I knew like how much was the good amount for me. I knew good foods for me because I do weight, weight watchers is my method for like tracking things to just know like what are quantities, what's an appropriate amount. You know, if I'm going over that, there's a reason why, what's the reason that's my mindfulness piece. But I lost track of that because I was maintaining it for like six years. And so there wasn't a need. I was just in a cycle, right? I just knew how to take care of my body and I was just taking care of my body. And then this really hot man came along and, (laughs) 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 you know, (laughs) I know. And I ended up getting together with him and then we merged our families and we have four kids and a lot of chaos and, you know, and, and my attention went like, you know, my business is growing. I've got four kids. I've got a new husband, everything. And, and my attention to all of that mindfulness just went out the window. And I still thought that I was eating the same. I still thought that I was, but when I went back on it, I had a big wake up call. Cause I finally went back to the doctor again and got an annual and she's like, and I stepped on the scale and I was like, Oh, I didn't know that. I knew it, but I didn't know it. You know? Because I could hide things from myself. I'm very, you know, I don't know anybody else, anybody else listening to this, but like rose colored glasses, I can completely hide from myself what's actually going on, which is why I need a mindfulness tool. So I went back on my mindfulness tool and immediately I was in portions and I was like, oh yeah, I've been eating like four times the amount that I need. And so then the question is why? And it's because I know for me, whenever I get emotionally overwhelmed or I get like there's so much going on in my life that feels out of control. Like my dad died three years ago. Like there's a lot of reasons why, but it's like the food is my area where I lose it, where it's just, you know, I'll be so compassionate and so loving and so present everywhere. And then that's the one area that just goes, it kind of explodes. I lose control. And, and be compassionate with yourself because most of our food is also a drug right now. (laughs) You know, like if it's in those center aisles in the grocery store and not in the produce section, like it's probably got something in it, you know? And so it did, it is a lot harder to like, it's easy to slip into that because it feels good. And, and, you know, you would notice if you started doing cocaine the whole time, (laughs) you know, like people would notice, you would notice you have to make the decision when you get that, but instead you're just making the decision to buy food that the person right next to you is buying as well. And no one thinks about it. And I'm not saying to avoid those completely, but at least for me, for my healing, I had tried so many things and there was a lot of, there was a lot of messages out there where it partially helped, but like one of my friends does nutritional coaching and she had an eating disorder too. And what worked for her is not what worked for me. Hers was really not demonizing any food and there is no bad food. I had to get to that place through a different route. I had to first think not necessarily that certain foods were bad, but to be real with myself about what was actually in them and then say, how am I going to feel after I eat this? Like, what is this doing for me? Is there an alternative that's going to give me more of what I want? Like the energy and the satisfaction it's going to actually fulfill me. So I had to do that step before I could stop demonizing other food. And it made just such a difference because I wasn't counteracting my intentions with the ingredients that I was consuming. Yeah, I found that it for me, it doesn't help to demonize foods, right? Because then yeah. I'll want them more. Like if I can't have dessert, then all I want is dessert. I just keep thinking about it. So what I had to do is the same thing as kind of like have a balanced approach and to think about food as what was a really pivotal thing for me and is still a pivotal thing for me is asking myself why. 
So I used to like drink a lot of wine when I was younger. And my response to emotional overwhelm was, I'll just have wine. You know, I'll just numb it out. And I think a lot of people could relate to that. And I see that happening. You know, the liquor stores are filled with people. But what happened was I, I finally started realizing, okay, why am I trying to numb out? What's going on in my life that I don't want to face? And then maybe if I just face it and be with those feelings, then I won't need to have so much wine, which was starting to be uncomfortable in my body. It was starting to cause negative effects. So what I've learned how to do is, is to acknowledge, oh, there's, I feel the urge for a glass of wine. And then I'll, I'll ask, okay, what is this for? Is this for celebration? And if it's for celebration, that's okay. Is this because I'm feeling bad and I want to compensate for it? Well, then that's not a good reason. And then there's something else I need, right? There's some other something that's needed, probably emotional support or just to, to be with myself, maybe meditate, go hug a tree, you know, sit outside, go ask my husband for a hug. There's like a million things I could be asking for, right? But it's that mindfulness. It's like being able to slow down long enough to pay attention. And sometimes life gets chaotic, and sometimes it's hard to be paying attention to so many things all at once, especially when you have little beings dependent on you or older beings dependent on you for, and their lives are chaotic. So I think as part of being a mom is also learning how to balance all of these things. And I know you're a new mom, so I'm sure you're getting a taste of that now, how to balance many people's needs and desires all at the same time. Yeah. And I have found, I mean, my whole life is a fluctuation of things. I used to be on this like really great road of everything going well and being so mindful about my life. And then I would fall into a dip and then I'd beat myself up and be like, you know, you should be over this. Like all that work you did isn't helping. But what I found is, you know, I'd get back on that train and then I'd go a little bit higher than I was before. So it was never, it was, it was just never a straight line. And to think of every little dip as a setback, it wasn't. I think that's just how the journey goes. And so I was being so good at being mindful about eating in general or a lot of things in my life, but the eating is just prevalent because we were just talking about it. And, you know, mindful eating in general, like taking deep breaths, actually tasting my food, trying not to watch TV at the same time. Because I just have an, I have historically had an addictive personality. And so like, even with the healthy food, I'm like, I just scarfed that down. I didn't taste it at all. Like, and so I've, I am usually really good with that. But I just said to my husband the other day, I'm like, I don't think I've properly chewed a meal since I gave birth, (laughs) (laughs) swallowing things whole just so I can like get back to things. But for me, I, I love to ask myself, even when things are hard, like, well, what is the universe giving me right now? Like, and it's not necessarily like, yes, I'm working on how to slow down all of these things, but with this, it's given me I see myself as so much more selfless now. And like, I remember watching other moms and how they'd have a minute between like feeding a baby and making a lunch and then they'd be emptying the dishwasher. And I'm like, I'm just not that kind of person. I like to put all that stuff off for last minute and then it overwhelms me. And then I do it all at once. Like, how am I going to handle being a mom? I'm going to be terrible with like the messiest house. My house is semi-messy, but all of a sudden I was just willing to do what needs to be done. Like the baby came out and now this is my life and this is what I do. And I am mostly taking care of this baby and less of myself for an only child. That's a weird transition, you know. but it's, I've been very proud of myself. And I think that's what it's calling me to do is to notice like with every effort that I make or whether it's my intention or the universe's intention, 
notice the positive changes within yourself because it makes all the hard stuff so much easier. I'm like, wow, I am this type of person that I never thought that I could be. And I'm going to keep getting better and I'm going to have my setbacks but that is just part of the journey. And what's different in my life now compared to 15 years ago is now I have the tools to handle it. I know what I need when I realize, oh my gosh, I've lost all of my tools. I've lost all of my good habits, but I know what they are. And finding the groove that I've already carved is so much easier than carving it in the first place. And so I think it still just comes back to having that compassion and using each new life pivot as a way to know yourself more deeply. Because when you know, when I know myself more deeply, then I can ask myself, well, what do I actually need? And hear that inner voice, which also took a really long time to detangle from my programming. And so the more that I sit in that stillness and I ask myself those questions and I hear that voice back, the more that I can be confident that I am giving myself what I need in that moment. I love so many things you just said. I love, I'm trying to decide which one I want to go down. I like what you said about the grooves. This is why I always encourage people to develop a spiritual practice or to develop habits around self-care. Maybe you don't need it right in this moment. Maybe right now your life is great and you're like, well, why do I practice? You know, I always tell people practice opening sacred space every day. And they're like, well, why? You know, why do I do it every day? Because then you get in the habit of doing it. And then when you really need it, let's say life throws you, you know, tremendously painful experiences, like when my dad died, well, I'm in the habit of opening sacred space. So it's a lot easier for me to get up and go do that for myself than it is to like, if I didn't have that, I might just lie in bed all day because I was sad, right? So it's these habits. And like with my um, my dieting, whatever, I, I don't want to call it dieting, my portion control, <laughs> my <laughs> portion control habits with Weight Watchers, because I did that so many years in a row, this time when it came around again, I admit I did have like a couple of days of wallowing in self-pity because I was like, oh man, I lost control of that. I didn't, I lost mindfulness on that. And I had some beating up that was happening. And then I was like, okay, just get over it. And I, I down, they had an app. So it was even better. It was easier. I was like, oh, okay, this is even easier than it ever was. And it was like seamless to get back into it because I'd already practiced it so many times. So I think self-care is one of those things. It's important for you to develop the habits so that when you actually really need it, you have it. You can slip back into it. Yeah, and for me, I had to realize too that what works at one moment doesn't always work the next. So I like to have a multitude (laughs) of tools. Like I am just the kind of person where my husband likes to create his routine and that's his routine every single day. I create a routine and it makes me so happy. And then eight days later, I'm like, I'm so bored of this routine. So I've got to like mix it up. And so it's like that with a lot of things. And so I know I used to be like, God, I just can never find a routine that's sustainable. But what I realized is mixing it up is part of my routine. I need to keep things fresh. And so whenever we move somewhere new, my husband sets up nooks for me. And he's like, look, I created this little nook that's a loft up in the corner where you can sit with your computer. You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And so we lived in a shoebox in New York for a while. It was just over the size of a queen size bed in the bedroom that we were in. And we were newlyweds and we just wanted to live in New York for a bit. And I was like, there's no nooks here. But he set me up like one that was we had to like climb a ladder to get to. And there was one out in the kitchen area. So 
I could make it work with everything. And, and it was another thing where I just need to know what I need. Otherwise I would create an adorable little setup. I'd be there for a while and then wonder why this just, this thing couldn't make me happy. Am I just the type of person that's never satisfied? What is wrong with me? Those were the things that always went through my mind, but I'm like, Oh, I'm feeling a little restless. Can I just sit somewhere new? Can I make a different morning drink? Can I, you know, like just change one thing to make it a little bit fresh, take a little different route on my walk today. And that way, that is my routine. I know that I need that. And again, it's listening to myself, asking myself what I need so I can give it to myself instead of asking myself why I'm not like all these other people or why I am can't be this way. It's more of an acceptance of who I actually am and then learning to live with myself. Oh, I love that too. I was feeling that this morning. You must be so tuned into me right now because, oh my gosh, this morning I was feeling that I was, I was going through the grocery store getting these things and, and I was noticing the feeling of disappointment and unrest, like this isn't good enough or angsty, you know, like the angsty yeah. feeling. And I was like, why am I feeling so angsty? And then when I feel it, I go, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I have a lot going on for me that's good right now. I should just feel grateful. And I know the power of feeling grateful. Like great, feeling grateful is a good thing, right? It's, it, that's what keeps all of the prosperity coming and all the good things happening is when you feel grateful for it. And I'm feeling angsty. And I'm like, this is not gonna support my prosperity. <laughs> like, Stop feeling angsty. But I was like, I know that doesn't work. So it's like, okay. Just feel it because there's something in it for me, right? It's like, allow it, accept it, embrace it, let it be what it is. Maybe there's something in that angstiness that's trying to tell me something. Maybe it's trying to tell me that they're like, I'm on the verge. Ah, and I love this. I'm on the verge of something new. I'm on the verge of a new me. I'm on the verge of somebody that's going to be even more expanded. And every time I get up against the edge of that, like I get that angsty feeling. I get right up against the edge of some new expansion and some new area or some new discovery about myself. And there's this angstiness like at the edge of it. And so I reminded myself of that. I was like, okay, I'm at the edge of something big. So sometimes it's that feeling that we get is there for us, right? To help us change it up or help us to see from a new angle. I love that you were talking about move yourself around, go for a walk in a different area, do what's good for you, but also change it up. Maybe there's something new that's going to be released from that. I went through something very similar. I told you we moved from LA to the mountains last August and we just wanted to get out of like the chaos of LA was not fun to live in at all during COVID. <laughs> and so I heard. I'm like, what do, what do I need? I'm like, I, let's just go to a town that's not like this at all. And we had lived in Big Bear before, two hours away. It's this very small mountain town. And when we lived there before, I was younger and I was not ready for this slow life. And then I just felt myself being called to it, being called to nature. And so I'm like, I need to give this to myself. And again, I had to sit with myself for a while and ask, am I just uncomfortable with what's happening? And so I'm reaching outside of myself, at, like trying to fix things by moving. Cause I did that too many times when I was younger. And so I had to make sure that I was doing it for the right reasons. And I was like, no, I do want nature. We are having a baby now. Like I should, we need more space. And so we made that decision. And then we got here and I had such a hard transition. I was like, I hate it up here. I can't get any of my healthy food. I can't like, there's nothing's the yoga's not open, but it wasn't in LA. So it's not like I could go back and like have things be the way it was. So part of me was mourning the way the world was, but then I'm like, I thought this was going to solve all my problems and it's not. And so 
again, I had to sit with myself and say, okay, you already checked in and you decided this wasn't supposed to solve your problems. It was to give you more of what you need. So remind yourself of that. So I did. And also it's like, well, what am I missing? Like, what do I feel like I'm missing? And it was that connection. And so I went on Facebook, the Big Bear Facebook group, and I'm like, hey, I need friends. <laughs> like, Anyone want to get together? Preferably pregnant friends or people with little babies, like, because I don't have any of those. <laughs> and so uh, the more I started to craft my life with the things that I know I need for my happiness, now I'm like loving it up here. And so I think it's the difference of coming here like I would have 10 years ago and been like, okay, I'm here. Now everything's supposed to be different and better. There still is that crafting and knowing what you need and and having those inner dialogues with yourself. And I don't expect myself to always know immediately. I'm like, now I'm in a new situation. I've never asked myself this before. So sit with the stillness and wait for the answer to come. You know, Don't beat yourself up because this is another thing you don't know. So that's just part of my process. But it does seem like with every new venture, every new place... I have to come back to that same thing and check in with myself and and play a little, uh, go back and forth until I start to feel those feelings of joy. And it's like, yes, you're on the right track. Yes, you're on the right track. Okay, keep doing more of this. And so uh, I think life is just my life. Biggest life lesson has been that I'm here to discover about myself because that's going to help me find my deepest purpose. That's going to help me find my joy and my happiness and my soul tribe and all of that. Oh, I love that. And I love the courageous willingness to take risks and see what happens. And I like your use of the word play. That's all gorgeous. So many people and uh, and certainly me at certain times have shied away from changes and really leaning into the change and leaning into your soul's guidance and and the unknown. We're all at the verge of the unknown right now. I mean, nobody really knows what's going to happen. It's a huge unknown. We're moving into, we're not going back to normal. We're moving into some new space and we don't even know what that is. So that's probably a lot of the angstiness. And I know I'm super empathic. And so I pick up on that wherever I go, right? So we just need to lean into that uncertainty with some faith that that there's something new that's going to come. And I love that you created that for yourself in your new space in the mountains. That's beautiful. Right. And even going back to the mindset of how can I use my limitations as guideposts here? And so there isn't as much access to healthy foods, whether it's restaurants or even at the grocery store. I mean, this is a town of like 3,500 people. <laughs> and so, uh, and I came from Santa Monica where it had all of those things and like a hundred yoga studios I could choose from. And so I started playing with, you know, all the meal delivery things. And right now I have a baby, so it's actually perfect. I'm finding as many prepared meal deliveries that I can get up here. And so I'm still getting like the gourmet healthy food that I don't have to make myself and it's cheaper than Uber Eats. (laughs) And then I'm still, and then I'm doing online yoga. And so instead of focusing so much on, man, what's been shut down? What can't I do? Because all that's going to do is highlight those things and make you feel more lack. And instead I'm like, well, like I, that's out of the question. So can I try something new? Can I get myself excited about this new thing that before I would have thought was an added expense that I didn't need, but now it seems like a bargain. So it's just <laughs> kind of seeing, seeing how life shuffles me through and I'm, and realizing that I am co-creating with the universe. It's not just the universe happening to me and it's not just me happening to the universe. It's that co-creation and, and the acceptance of that can make the whole journey so much easier. Absolutely. accepting. The changes, except we have to all accept it now. Beautiful, beautiful wisdom that you shared with us today. I know that people can find you on the Mind Love podcast. I'll definitely put a link. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience today about how to work with you? What kinds of things you like to help people with? 
Anything like that? Yeah, I do mindset coaching. So reach out to me and let me know what you're dealing with and we can see what our options are. And uh, I also have a daily email called the morning mind love. That's just short, short notes from your higher self. That's every weekday morning. And you can sign up for free at mindlove.com right on the homepage. Or if you're out and about, you can text the word morning to 33777. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, everybody, I want to say if you liked this podcast episode, then please like it, share it out, give us a good star rating for it and make sure that it gets out there in the electronic world because that's how people are going to find it is when you engage. And I want to give people kisses. Would you like to join me, Melissa? Yeah. Okay. Here come your kisses, everybody. (laughs) We'll see you guys next time on Soul Nectar Show. Thanks for being on the show, Melissa. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. Bye for now. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Soul